how can we give process engineers a tool to help them with their day-to-day development? At Sandbox, we deploy a software that where process engineers can build their own machine learning models to help understand their total process space. On this episode of Embedded Insiders, Magali Chopra, CEO at Sandbox Semiconductor, gives insight into her company's AI-enabled modeling platform that accelerates the development of semiconductor manufacturing processes. Next, on DevTalk with Rich and Vin, the two are looking back and rehashing the predictions they had for 2023, while also providing some predictions they have for 2024 when it comes to AI, partnerships, and more. But first, Rich and Ken are back from CES 2024, discussing some of the companies they met with, the top technologies they saw, and the upcoming trends to look out for. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Embedded Insiders podcast. I'm Rich Nass, Executive Vice President with Open Systems Media and slightly under the weather person today. And you are Ken Briota, right? I am. Uh, you have correctly identified me, and you sound like you've just been at CES. <laughs> yeah, maybe not so much CES, but just being on a plane. I think um, I'm generally pretty healthy, and the only time I seem to get sick is when I'm on a plane. And you know, you're in one of those big germ tubes, and um, it just happens. My wife keeps saying that I should bring the sanitizer and wipe down my seat and the tray table, and I can't be bothered. But uh, I uh, I'm still uh, masking up on on planes and stuff because planes and kindergartens are the key areas where I mask up. <laughs> you know, I probably should. Um, I I think I carry a mask in my bag from international travel anyway, so there's no reason not to have it. Yeah, you're you're right. All right. Well, I I think the answer the better solution to that is just not fly anymore. Or uh, we could get a company private jet. That would solve it too. Uh, you know, if <laughs> well, we're we, voting. <laughs> well, but it's still a germ tube just with us internally. <laughs> well, most of the time we fly in ones and twos. One of us can be in the back. One can be in the front. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. So you, you mentioned CES, which is where both of us were last week. And yep. speaking of germ tubes, I had some significant travel issues. Anybody who has gone through Atlanta. Tuesday experienced what what I did, which was uh, pretty bad weather. I got diverted to Charleston. The people in Charleston were so sweet. It reminded me of that Broadway show, Come From Away, where <laughs> if you're not familiar, on, on 9-11, they landed all these planes in Nova Scotia, I believe it was, or yep. Finland or some province in the northeast of Canada. And that's what Charleston was like on that day. All the planes were all landing in Charleston. And there were there, there, there were about a dozen planes there that had all been yeah. diverted. And the people who worked there were so nice. You know, they were obviously uh overwhelmed, but uh, it was it was pretty interesting. So I got I got uh comparatively lucky, actually. I also was going through Atlanta, but I got there before the the bulk of the storm started so i spent the night in atlanta with it being mostly empty and everyone sort of 
obviously on staff being in running mode, trying to figure out how they were going to get all these passengers back to Atlanta and everything else. So it was, it was interesting to be on the other side of that, but it did mean that I got to Vegas on time. (laughs) Yeah, I did not. I missed a couple and hopefully I can make those up, but um, all right. So I want to go through some of the highlights that we both experienced. I'll let you go first. It would be fair to say that the story of my, uh, my CES was, what a car show that <laughs> that show has become. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it was tons and tons of automotive in every hall. Uh, there was some really interesting stuff happening, especially with electric vehicles, as you might guess. In terms of nitty gritty stuff that I saw, there was sort of an interesting uh, discussion going on about data management and power management in vehicles, whether or not, especially with data management, the correct answer is you know, high, high, high capacity, high end ethernet or, uh, several, uh, companies that I talked to are talking about wireless data transfer in cars using either BLE or modified functionally BLE. You're referring to within the vehicle, right? Within the vehicle. Yeah. So but not mission critical. I, uh, I, I hope, I mean, is this for entertainment type stuff and low level ADAS? It seemed like they were talking about the whole system from from soup to nuts and then containerizing so that within mission critical systems it would be redundant so there'd be a wired redundancy but the primary source for some of them the primary source of data transfer would be sort of a modified or uh, modified bluetooth kind of thing which i found very interesting because as it seems like you're hinting at your first thought wouldn't be bluetooth is the right choice there (laughs) <laughs> yeah when i step on the brake i don't want some bluetooth thing going down to the brakes yeah well one of the the companies i talked to was uh ti their system is heavily modified and customized so they're they're using bluetooth like technology is how i think they, they would characterize really? it <laughs> yeah they were very excited about the full modifications they were thinking very seriously about latency and security uh, because of doing this wireless uh, transfer system, and uh, you know, by their own by their own report, admittedly, it's uh, it's working well and not uh, uh, not causing issues. So obviously, that's early, uh, and and it'll bear watching. Well, somebody but, like TI uh, can get the attention of the automakers themselves as well yeah. as the tier ones. You know, when when you have a startup doing that, they're not. It has a long way to go to rear its head and in, in, into an actual vehicle yeah absolutely so it'll be interesting to watch uh how that's how that's going to develop and uh, folks who i hope are regular visitors to uh embedded computing design will be reading articles about this over the next little while absolutely obviously as you might expect tons of ai and automo- automated automotive some of the most interesting stuff had to do with computer vision uh obviously john deere was doing some very interesting things along those lines and some pretty, uh, I mean, heated isn't the right word, but that's how I would love to be able to characterize it. Discussion about the uh, advantages and disadvantages of radar versus LIDAR for automotive uh, and uh, uh, ADAS and, and automated driving. Just so um, we're clear there, what is the difference between radar and LIDAR? Uh, so LIDAR is using, as, as I understand it, LIDAR is using something closer to true vision in that they're measuring light uh levels and often if the system's good it's paired with radar to get a higher uh, degree of fidelity in the image so that you have more uh 
surety about what you're so the computer the ai has more surety about what it's looking at whereas radar is faster um and as some of the things that i saw amazingly high fidelity and detail uh but works uh at a i guess if you think about it as if you were to think about pixels it's a a more granular pixel <laughs> than than you get with lidar so i think that they're both acronyms and if you if you put me on the on the rack to tell you what the exact acronyms were, I couldn't at the moment. But uh, uh, one is using radio, and the other is using light. Is the very short version for folks out there. <laughs> yeah, and the reason that they move from one to the other is that when they first started doing these things with radar, there was um, much fewer cars that were had radar installed, and it worked great. Once they yeah. got tons of these cars out there, they started to malfunction because. There was a lot of interference, so they had to Absolutely. move thing like lidar. Yeah, the problem is uh, lidar is bulky and ugly, and so the the OEMs don't like it because they don't want a giant rig on the top of the car for lidar, and so because it it screws up the lines of the car, it actually impacts fuel efficiency to have this lump of camera rig on the top. I mean, you've all seen similar rigs on things so lidar seems to be most useful in like fleets or uh industrial construction those kinds of places whereas radar is becoming extremely uh detailed it looks like some of the demos i saw were really impressive low latency stuff that the manufacturers were claiming are solving some of those interference problems and solving the lack of fidelity and not being able to sort of distinguish between objects and stuff very well. And uh, just one wrinkle on this, it's not radar or LIDAR related, but I talked to to one company that was doing a bunch of GNSS stuff, extremely high precision, centimeter grade precision, where they're working with uh, at least one OEM that they uh, weren't willing to identify to pair that with their automated driving system to measure you know, staying in the lane to a really high degree of specificity, which you might imagine you'd want. So that, that was some of my highlights. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot more coming out of this. There was tons of AI that I could talk about for an hour. Um, but uh, but what did you see? What did, what did you uh, think was really exciting? Did you see any big themes? I actually didn't see a lot of AI stuff or it was bundled with other stuff. and wasn't called AI. Um, sure. I'll get into that in a minute. Um, one of the things that I um I'm like an audiophile and I and I love gadgets and home electronics and smart home stuff. Um there were two companies that are are similar because they're their their people come from this from the same founding company. One was X Mems and one is Knowles, and they both do MEMS-based speaker type products that are either for earbuds, like they're really, really tiny. And they're either for earbuds or for inner ear stuff. And they and they can also be microphones. So it was oh. very interesting. I mean, the, the power level is near zero in these things. And the and the and the quality was phenomenal. When you compare it to a regular speaker, uh, it was better, which really surprised me. And wow. it, you know, it's it's a little more expensive, but they say because you're removing some other components, that the system cost is actually less, but that's a marketing spin, but but I was impressed with that. Um, the other one that I need to need to call out is always a meeting at at the show where you're like, and eh, I really want to go see these guys, and then you show up and you're like, oh my god, look at this technology, this is so cool. And the one for me is a, it was a company that I never heard of. 
called Vuziv, V-U-Z-I-X, Vuzix. And shame on me because they're a pretty big company, but they're up in Rochester um, and they do uh, AR glasses. And oh, yeah, uh, you were telling me about these. They were so cool. Um, you, They look like regular glasses, either sunglasses or just regular prescription glasses. And they, the, the amount of electronics on them was so small. They don't they you really don't notice that it's in it, it's AR glasses and they're very early in their stages. What they're doing now is it isn't a prototype, but it's just barely past prototype. But they have a dev kit for people who want to design apps for the glasses. And the one app that I saw that just makes the thing super useful is for what's the word I'm looking for? Translation. That's the word. When we were doing the demo, I was wearing the glasses and the guy was speaking Spanish and the words were showing up in English and in my glasses. And I mean, if you think about it, it's 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 not really that hard because he's using Google Translate through his phone. But the hard part is getting it on glasses and in, in real time. But I was just blown away by that. But there's so many things you could do. Some of the examples he showed was one was for somebody who's a golfer like me. I have everything on my watch. Well, now you have everything in your glasses. You know what the distance is, the wind speed is, and the direction of the wind, and you know what your score is and all that stuff. Yeah. Another one was a, a GPS app for somebody who's a runner, which, boy, I feel like I'm an Olympian here, but I'm also a runner. And <laughs> um, while you're running, it has all your vital signs, your heart rate, your your blood pressure, and obviously your distance and stuff like that. But it was it was really cool. So um, yeah. I'm going to follow up on that one. There was a, um, a research lab from Taiwan that I'd never heard of. That was pretty cool. It's ITRI. And I don't know what it stands for right now, but they, they're they a government body and they partner with industry where they're like a think tank and they get these products going. They hand them off to the various partner companies to bring them to market. And some of the technology they had was really cool. They did a, a 3D model of me in in just a couple of minutes where it normally takes a long time in a supercomputer to, to yeah. do the 3d models and, and they created an avatar of me and they can make the avatar they can make me say whatever they wanted me to say which well, that's not terrifying at all <laughs> no not at all well it actually says it better than i say it so it's probably better but um <laughs> but it was it was pretty cool and I, I guess it's a little scary but it was but the technology behind it was was awesome so, um, so you don't need me to do these podcasts anymore. You could just have my avatar in. We'll call it AI talk with uh, <laughs> with nearly rich and Vin. There you go. <laughs> uh, spent some time as you did with Mahermada of Infineon. He's the president of uh, North America for Infineon, and he's always full of interesting things to say. So that was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's uh, it's interesting. So speaking of the smart home stuff, did you get a chance to? stop into the nxp uh demo booth that they had and they walked me through this like smart home smart living room uh immersive environment that they'd set up with all their with all their stuff really interesting demo i'm definitely going to be uh uh writing sort of a a virtual walkthrough tour on that because there was some really interesting uh tech happening there around um sort of human sensing and differentiating between the the people in the home and changing settings based on who was coming into the room and 
sort of prioritizing, like if you've got parents and kids, prioritizing the setting that the parent walk, wants when they walk into the room versus what the kid sets the thermostat to or whatever. So really interesting. Um, tied to mobile device as a general rule, but not always. You can leave your mobile device behind and um, it will it'll still sense who you are based on sensors around the room. It was really, really cool. Uh, really, really interesting and, and fun walkthrough. And of course, I, they had a bunch of uh, automotive and industrial tech in there too. That was that was cool. But I was really impressed by the smart home demo because as as someone who's used a variety of the hubs and and uh, and smart home things, they're always a little bit frustrating. And this was a hubless system. You could have a hub, but it but it didn't require it. Uh, you just sort of installed the management software somewhere. On the I would network. assume that that's all based on Matter because they're one of the yeah. big proponents oh, yeah. of Matter. And, you know, yep. in, in theory, everything should work right and, and be easy for the user. I'm not. Yeah, I, look, I think I think Matter is a really interesting and uh, and useful standard. And I'm looking forward to seeing how it grows. It seems to me to be the best one I've seen yet. So I, I, they, it was based on matter and, and I, I liked what they were doing. One more, I, I need to say before we sign off, I met with the, uh, the new regime at Z-Wave. I, I was, I was pretty impressed that, that they want to push pretty hard going forward. And I know I've been um, on them in the past that they haven't done a really good job of getting their message out. And, and I think we're going to see some changes there. Most, I don't mean technology changes. I mean, more marketing changes that um, <laughs> it's, it's a great spec. And and it is an open source spec now, thanks to uh, Silicon Labs releasing that spec out to the out to the community. So I think we're yeah. going to see some more things from Z-Wave, which, which is which is a really good thing. Yeah, I like Z-Wave too. I think Z-Wave is is really interesting. But you're right; they've done a they've they've struggled a little bit in getting penetration, I think, and yep. uh, adoption from some of the the OEMs. So you know, it's there's some translation issues there. So did you lose any money in Vegas? Uh, you know, I didn't get time to play anything. I never sat down at a table, which is a bummer. That said, of course I lost money. I was in Vegas. <laughs> I came home a winner as well because I did not have any time to. Yeah, it's a bummer. Right? You know, I like to sit down and play cards, but, uh, you know, a show like CES doesn't leave you a lot of time for that. That is for sure. Now, here's Magali Chopra. CEO at Sandbox Semiconductor, giving some insight into the no-code process development platform, Sandbox Studio AI. I got my degree in chemical engineering. I was really interested in nano manufacturing. I wanted to pursue a path where I could work on technologies that would impact a lot of people. And so when I went to graduate school, I was lucky enough at UT Austin to see a presentation by Dr. Roger Bonacase. He presented essentially on a new center uh, sponsored by the National Science Foundation on nanomanufacturing engineering systems. Um, and it spoke to me. So um, not a lot of people realize this, but there's a lot of technologies that never make it out of the lab just because they're so hard to manufacture at a large scale. The technology has to be commercially viable in order for it to be put into production. And so that's the pro the what I wanted to focus on over the course of my PhD. And so we specifically targeted semiconductor nanomanufacturing processes called etch and deposition. 
um, and focus on this problem of what can we do to make the development of these processes easier. I'm lucky because my dad was an entrepreneur. So um, he uh, is also a chemical engineer and he also started his own company. So I think this path of starting a company uh, never seemed that scary to me because I had a role model to, to follow. Um, but that's uh, kind of how I got my start and found myself in this space. Can you give us a brief explanation of what Sandbox is as far as, you know, the company and kind of like what the goal of your company is when you started it, maybe what it is now, and then what makes it the product itself, Sandbox AI, what makes it different from maybe other AI platforms that are out there for semiconductor manufacturing? Yeah, absolutely. So Sandbox develops software to accelerate semiconductor process development. So when you think about um, you know, a chip, there's um, at least a thousand processing steps that go into making that given chip. And to develop each of those unit processes, engineers have to optimize tens and tens of variables at a time. It's a highly nonlinear problem. Um, when I was doing my PhD, my goal was to you know, come up with computational models to help them approach this. And what I found was is that engineers in industry don't typically like using um, these computational models because they're really slow or they have lots of variables. They have to do a lot of you know, material or parameter inputs. And so um, give that was the process engineers on? a tool to help them with their day-to-day -day development. And so to solve this problem, we started developing a platform. Um, it's a no-code AI platform. So what that means is that we at Sandbox, we deploy a software that where process engineers can, with minimal data input, build their own machine learning models to help understand their total process space. So the inputs for the software are essentially, these are my process requirements. This is some data that I have. And the output is a detailed visualization of the predicted process behavior and outcomes, and then the optimized um, optimized recipe recommendations to help them get closer to their targets. For those who might be listening and maybe want to get a deeper dive, can you maybe explain your computational modeling approach and maybe any other specific features that are a part of this platform that could interest or aid engineers that could possibly be using it? Yeah, so um, what we do is we start off with what we call a reduced physics-based model, and we essentially take a limited amount of experimental data that um, and use that to drive what the governing mechanisms are in that physics-based model. And then we use machine learning to augment that model to make the feedback loop to process engineers instantaneous. And so this pipeline is... Um, uh, this pipeline allows us to essentially mimic a process engineer's workflow where they start off with some data input, build a model, and they get predictions. Um, but what is really special about it is that it's completely generalized so that um, process engineers can gain access to um, both physics-based modeling predictions and machine learning model predictions to inform their process development. Um, now what we're focusing on in the platform is adding additional tool toolboxes to help process engineers. So um, you know, I talked about the experimental data input. One thing that engineers have to do is uh, process a lot of images in order to provide that experimental data input. And so we just re uh, released the beta version of our software called Weave. 
And what Weave does is it allows process engineers to essentially extract key critical dimension information from images. And um, so normally the way this is done right now is uh, pretty manual. So they have to measure these um, measure these images. It's kind of surprising, honestly, that it's manual, but it's just these um, microscope images are so hard to uh, measure even for a human eye, it's hard to see all the different material layers that go into complex uh, 3D architectures. And so we've automated extraction of that for input into our modeling platform and feeds into that general uh, modeling pipeline. Do you have any predictions for where you see the future of Sandbox going and maybe the future of semiconductor manufacturing? And are there any, you know, places that your company will be that people can go and check out this technology? Yeah, so uh, in terms of the future of semiconductor manufacturing, it's pretty exciting to see all the developments that are coming in AI and uh, process development. What our strategy is, is to help process engineers essentially with their day-to-day -day process development by giving them a toolbox for all of their process development needs. So we kind of like to think of ourselves as, um, you know, we're like their hammer for their process development. Um, and so um, currently we focus on recipe development optimization, also metrology and image um, imaging analysis, and we'll be going expanding into more metrology applications into 2024. Um, uh, if anyone is interested in our technology, we'll be presenting at the SPIE Advanced Lithography Conference um, in in February, so they can uh, come check that out. And we also they can also visit our website at www.sandboxsemiconductor.com. Now, here's Rich and Vin discussing some of the 2023 predictions they expected but didn't happen, and the 2024 predictions they're expecting to unfold. Good afternoon. Welcome to Dev Talk with Rich and Vin. I am Rich, and you are Vin. Hey, that works pretty good, doesn't it? <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah, anything hard was to, to find a guy named Vin to fill in that spot. I was going to say, if anything happens to me, you're going to need to find somebody else named Vin. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Happy New Year, Rich. Thank you very much. Same to you. How you doing? Good. Good. I see you didn't spend the holidays cleaning your office. I. That's true. I didn't. I did not. <laughs> Very good. So um, I want to go in a different direction with you than we normally go. Or not we normally go, but people normally go this time of year. Everybody makes their predictions for the upcoming year. I want to go back and look at um, 2023. What were okay. some of the things that were, you know, I could say we predicted at the beginning of 2023 and said, this is what's going to happen. Or, you know, there was so much hype around various things. What are some of the things that didn't actually pan out the way we thought they were going to be? How's that? Um, that's good. I, I think, you know, there's an old adage that life's what happens to you while you're busy making plans. And so there were a lot of plans early in the year about artificial intelligence. And we certainly saw a meteoric rise uh, of artificial intelligence or the hype around it. But we also saw a lot of chaos around it too. And okay, let me stop you there. You said a, a rise in artificial intelligence. What what do you mean by that? In in what capacity did we see a rise? Well, I mean everybody was talking about it more than in previous years. Uh, I mean in the in the tech space, it's been talked about. But when something enters the lexicon of the average person, it suddenly has become something that uh, everyone talks about with or without actual knowledge. I mean, we saw 
tons of conversations about whether it was going to take over the earth and whether it's not going to take over the earth and do I really need it on my toaster and you know, should the government get involved? Should the government not get involved? People the government's getting... already involved. They're having multiple, multiple, multiple meetings about what I know, what I know, but, but they're doing that now. But before they did that, there was a question about whether they should. And, you know, we saw people fired and rehired over a weekend. I mean, it, it's, it, there's a lot that's happened in the last year. So what was that reference? People fired and rehired over the weekend? Uh, open AI. Oh, 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 oh. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Yep. Sorry. Um, so is it hype or is it reality or is it hype that's going to lead to reality at some point? Because from the semiconductor guy's perspective, it's 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 here and it's ready to go. But from the developer's perspective, they're just starting to figure it out. So will 2024 be the year of AI? You know... It's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out because like everything else, this new technology uh, starts out as an interesting thing and technologists want to play with it. And suddenly when it gets into the lexicon of the people who are buying your product, every marketing person wants to have it on the box, right? You and I are old enough, certainly I'm old enough, but you and I are old enough to remember this happening before, right? When microprocessors dropped in price and microcontrollers came out that were even cheaper, everybody wanted to say their product was smart. Uh, and then when you know IoT started, everyone wanted to say their product was connected. And before that, when transistors came out, everyone wanted to put solid state on their product. So this isn't a pattern that's new. Um, it's the thing in the pattern that's new. Uh, and some of the implications. And I think that, you know, it'll be interesting to see how things shake out, but but in the end, um, no one should be worried that they're gonna go to bed and their toaster is going to kill them in the middle of the night. Uh, there are other areas of artificial intelligence that that could pose a threat if not done properly, but you and I are in a world of embedded systems where where, really artificial intelligence is another way to do something that we're already doing and do it in a more efficient way if it's properly applied, right? You know, I, th I think that last point is really hits it on the head because uh, I've argued for a while now that AI in and of itself isn't really the thing. It's, it's what it does to the thing, right? What it does to the toaster, what yep. it does to whatever it is. It's, AI is not an application. It helps some other application do its thing better. And yeah. that's what we have to keep in, in the right perspective. Yeah. you. I mean, you might remember in the 90s, there were companies that had what they were calling fuzzy logic compilers. Uh, remember I those? Remember. That was yeah, a long time ago. That yeah, was in my was early days of uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Back of electronic design. So that was like in 1990-ish. Yeah, and it was and it was an attempt to to make some of this happen uh, because they knew that there were some things that could be better done looking at the probabilistic result rather than the actual result, right? And and you know the computing power wasn't there, the instruction set wasn't there. Now we have you know instruction sets that have DSP extensions, and we could utilize the DSP instructions to run some algorithms to do some analysis that that we simply didn't have. And I mean, you and I know when 
you know, you know, when they when the parts first came out, we were laying out PC boards on two layers with you know uh, acetate and mylar tape, and it was a megahertz bus, and we were worrying about whether we could make it work or not. And now we've got things that are running at multiple tens of mega and hundreds of megahertz. So the computing power has has gone up dramatically, and it's time to revisit it in a in a different way, right? That that's really the key. So are you going to go on record as saying 2024 is going to be the year of AI? You know, I think 2024 is going to be the year that people start realizing that AI could or couldn't help them and add value. I mean, you know, you know, my regular business in working with help them. AI does everything. What do you mean it couldn't help them? Well, because it, maybe it can help them in the technical sense, but maybe not in the business sense. You and I have talked about this before, right? That it may only add a few cents to do it in the product, but it may be a hundred thousand or or two hundred thousand dollars worth of data collection and analysis to make it work. Does that make sense for someone who's shipping five thousand pieces? I, I don't know. If it's if it's a killer app, yes. If it's just to put AI on the box, then no. And and so you're going to see. My prediction is that you will see more interaction between the marketing people and the technologists um, than than we have because this is something that needs to really. You know, when I look at my career, and you and I have talked about this, I've always been the guy in in whatever company that I'm in that translates technology to the to the uh, marketing people and translate markets needs to the technologists, right? That I've had my foot in both of those camps. And, and, um, and I think that that's gonna have to happen more organically now in order for AI to be effectively, um, effectively employed. I, I would love to see instead of AI, I'd like to see someone brand an effective AI logo, and you only get that if you've done a good job, right? I mean, that that would be really cool. There's plenty of solid state amplifiers that sound like crap compared to tube amplifiers, and there's some that have been done really well, right? So so it's that kind of thing. So I, I think it's going to be that. I think you're going to see more partnerships because people are going to realize that they are good at silicon but not at software or good at software but not at silicon and, mm-hmm. and i think the other realization that nobody's talking about is a lot of these advanced ai algorithms are being written in python and if you look at what it takes to run python i you know you know i'm teaching this class and in my class i have this chart that's updated every year that shows the relative power requirements for different programming languages and it's ridiculous in like 70 times the amount of power required to run the same algorithm in Python as C. And so you're running these things on servers uh, or you're running them in a local device and, um, and and you certainly are burning up way more power. I mean, we're talking about electric cars with IoT devices, with AI everywhere. You know, a chat GPT search requires a thousand times the energy that a, than a Google search requires. So, right. you know, where, where are we getting the power for all this? I mean, these are the these are the places where the interaction between all of these disciplines need to come together. And I think 24 is going to be the year where we realize that and really start these interactions so that we can effectively we can effectively apply it as a technology. Okay, one more for you. 
Uh, I believe we predicted a year ago that this would be the year that people would take security seriously. Yet we still see hack after hack after hack. Uh, what's up with that? You know, my father said to me as a kid that locks were there to stop stupid, honest, and lazy people. And anyone who wants to get in will really get in. Um, we've seen a lot of areas where things have gotten more secure. Uh, there's a cost associated with it. And a lot of companies will roll the dice because of the cost. And, and just like batteries, security is something that needs to be done from inception. You can't wrap it around the outside of something because if you wrap it around the That's outside- That's very true. Yep. Yeah. You wrap it around the outside, there's too many ways of, of uh, capitalizing on shortcomings that are already there. And, and so, and you and I saw this in the battery industry, right? Um, battery technology and battery powered systems didn't get good until they stopped adding the battery at the last minute. You know, the first laptops that were battery powered, you snap the battery in from the outside and mm -hmm. now they're, they're built inside from the beginning, included in plastic, included in, in you know, uh, hardware design, included in driver design. Uh, and it and it really accelerated the performance of a battery operated system. And I think that's what's going to have to happen to security. And, you know, there's other technologies that we should talk about, you know, this in 24 that that fall into the same category of consider it at inception rather than added afterwards. Okay. So are we going to revisit this a year from now or do we? I'm hoping we revisit it all year long and see how the progress is going and maybe and maybe push people in the right direction. Okay, I like that. The idea. world, the world needs guidance from you and me, Rich. Let's just let's just face that. <laughs> there you go. Thanks for listening to this edition of Embedded Insiders. For more daily news, videos, and podcasts, visit our website at embeddedcomputing.com.